Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Obadiah verses 1 to 11 in part three of a sermon series called The Poison of Pride, with this message from November 10th titled Overcoming Indifference. I had a glass clearly marked poison and asked you to drink from it, you no doubt would recline and rightly so. You understand the harmful effects of poison. There wouldn't be no way that you would allow that glass to touch your lips. But yet each and every day you and I are tempted to drink the poison of pride. Pride is the subtle yet powerful influence that most commentators believe is the father of all other sins. Hebrew, Greek, and English share the same sense of the word's basic meaning to be lifted up, to have an undue sense of one's importance or superiority. Pride can be defined as an overestimation of oneself and importance while manifesting a belittling belittling attitude toward others. The proud person sees himself as superior to others. Pride is self-deification. Pride carries not only a lofty self-centeredness, but also a competitiveness against others that easily becomes a lustful, destroying enmity. It is highly critical, envious, and impatient, and it can easily be stirred to anger, to possessiveness, and suspicion of being taken advantage of. Pride touches everyone's life, and as a result, it deceives the heart. It hardens the mind. It binds man like a chain. It brings shame and causes contention amongst people. However, as seriously dangerous as pride is, it is equally hard to spot. When it comes to diagnosing diagnosing our hearts, those of us who have this disease of pride have a challenging time identifying our sickness. Pride infects our eyesight causing us to view ourselves through a lens that colors and distorts reality. Pride will paint even our ugliness and sin as beautiful and commendable. You and I can't conclude that we don't struggle with pride just because we don't see pride in our hearts. The comfortable moments when I pat myself on the back for how well I am doing are the moments that should alarm me the most. In those moments, I need to reach for the glasses of Christ-like humility, remembering that nothing good dwells in my flesh. And I must search my heart for secret pride and its symptoms. We are in a preaching series, which I have titled The Poison of Pride, a series from the book of Obadiah, which brings into focus the pride, the arrogance, and the self-centeredness of the Edomites. Obadiah, as I mentioned at the outset of the series, is the shortest book in the Old Testament, just 21 verses in length. The historical background is completely taken up with a feud between two nations, the nation of Edom and the nation of Israel. The Edomites descended from Esau, while the people of Israel descended from Jacob. And as you recall, Esau and Jacob were brothers. Not only could these two nations trace their history back to these two brothers, but they were also neighbors. The Edomites lived in a region just south of Palestine. Just as the brothers Jacob and Esau fought during their lifetime, a feud lasted between Edom and Israel for 800 years. 
Bitterness and hatred raged, and the smoldering animosity between the Israelites and the Edomites bellowed into a blaze when Edom stood watching as a spectator. The great and powerful nation of Babylon ransack and destroy the nation of Israel. When Israel fell in 587 BC, the Edomites capitalized on the plight of Judah, rejoicing in the calamity. And following the destruction of Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah said this about the Edomites in Lamentations chapter 4, verse 21. He wrote, celebrate while you can, O Edom. Live it up, us, for it won't be long before you drink this cup too. You'll find out what it's like to drink God's wrath. Get drunk on God's wrath and wake up with nothing stripped naked. And then consider what the psalmist penned in Psalm 137, 7. Oh Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem? Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. You see, the Edomites had no concern for Judah as it was being utterly destroyed by the Babylonians. We can sum up the situation of the words in the words of one of the great preachers of the last century, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. He writes regarding the book of Obadiah, the background of the picture presented to us by Obadiah is Jacob. The foreground is Esau. Jacob and those descending from him can be seen passing through suffering, which is, of the, which is of the nature of chastisement to ultimate restoration. Esau is seen as proud, rebellious, defiant, and moving towards ultimate destruction. Obadiah prophesied God's judgment on Edom because of her pride, and he detailed the symptoms of her pride. As we discovered a few Sundays ago, one symptom of her pride was her self-sufficiency. Because of her location, because of her wealth, because of her wisdom, Edom put her trust in herself. And like Edom, we too are tempted to trust in our possessions, to trust in our power, in our position, in our ingenuity, in our work ethic. Often the way we live communicates that we don't need God, that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. Often the way we live displays self-reliance rather than God-reliance. Well, as we noted, the cure for self-sufficiency is humility. It comes to, it come, it is coming to the understanding that we are dependent upon God in every situation and circumstance of life. Therefore, we need to bring our lives under his sovereign rule. In submission, we surrender to his will and to his purposes. But there was another symptom that pointed to Edom's pride. And we read of it in Obadiah verse 11. Obadiah says to Edom, when they were invaded, in other words, when Jerusalem, when uh, Israel was invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. But you acted like one of Israel's enemies. In this verse, I think Obadiah gives to us a symptom of pride. And it's expressed in this th statement. You stood aloof. When Israel was being attacked in Jerusalem ransacked, Edom stood aloof. Now, what does Obadiah have in mind when he says you stood aloof? In Hebrew, the word aloof means to be in front of or to be in someone's presence. The original Hebrew gives the impression that Edom showed up to watch the Babylonians overtake the Israelites, but they did not get involved. They stood as spectators doing nothing while Babylon attacked Israel. She remained indifferent to the plight of her sister nation. 
indifference was not only a problem during the time of Obadiah. It is also a problem in our society as well. And unfortunately, even among Christians. Recently, I read the story of two men waiting at a bus stop and they struck up a conversation. And as they were talking about events taking place within their country, one said to the other, the biggest problem in our country today is ignorance and apathy. The other man replied, I don't know what that means and I don't care. (laughs) When we speak of indifference or apathy, what do we mean? Indifferent is defined as having a lack of interest in or concern about something. It is being apathetic. Someone described apathy as haughty rebellion. It's a form of pride because an indifferent person doesn't have any interest or concern about anyone else. John Piper in his book, Bloodlines, writes, Apathy is passionless living. It is sitting in front of the television night after night and living your life from one moment of entertainment to the next. It is the inability to be shocked into action by the steady state lostness and suffering of the world. It is the emptiness that comes from thinking of godliness as the avoidance of doing bad things instead of the aggressive pursuit of doing good things. It is the emptiness that comes from thinking of godliness as the avoidance of doing bad things instead of the aggressive pursuit of doing good things. People who are indifferent are spectators who fail to take notice of their surroundings, fail to come to the aid of people in need, fail to get involved and fail to take a stand for what is right. Although I do not agree with Joseph Fletcher's teaching concerning situational ethics, I do believe he says something significant about indifference. He once said the true opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Hate, bad as it is, at least treats a neighbor as a thou, whereas indifference turns a neighbor into an it, a thing. This is why we may say that there is actually one thing worse than evil itself, and that is indifference to evil. In human relations, the nature of morality, the lowest point as far as Christian ethics are concerned is manifest in the phrase, I couldn't care less. And George Bernard Shaw said something similar. He is quoted as saying, the worst sin toward our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. In Elie Wiesel's autobiographical novel, The Town Beyond the Wall, he tells the story of Michael, a young Jew who survived the Holocaust. Michael traveled at great personal risk behind the Iron Curtain to his Hungarian hometown. Though his memory burned with the images of the soldiers and the police who had brutalized him and his loved ones, Michael returned not for revenge, but to satisfy his curiosity. He said this, this was a thing I had wanted to understand ever since the war. Nothing else. How a human being can remain indifferent. In a strange way, he understood the brutality of the executioners and the prison guards. What he did not understand was a man Wiesel called a spectator who lived across from the synagogue. The man who peered through his window day after day as thousands of Jews were herded into the death trains. His face was gazing out, reflecting no pity, no pleasure, no shock, not even anger or interest. Impassive, cold, impersonal. 
the face was indifferent to the spectacle. There is a bond, Michael thought, between the brutal executioner and the victim, even though the bond is negative. They belong to the same universe. But this is not true of that other. The spectator is entirely beyond us. He sees without being seen. He is there, but unnoticed. Wiesel concludes, to be indifferent for whatever reason is to deny not only the validity of existence, but also its beauty. Betray and you are a man. Torture your neighbor, you're still a man. Evil is human, weakness is human. Indifference is not. Indifference is a deadly sin. Forever a spectator on the sidelines of life. Is it possible that indifference has taken root in your heart and in my heart? Is it possible that we are in a state of apathy in which we don't care or don't take action on, on something that is happening around us? Is it possible that we could become cold, aloof, disinterested, unmotivated, lacking in passion as we observe the plight and, and needs of others? For example, are we indifferent to the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that they face on a constant and continual basis? Are we apathetic to the homeless that walk our streets? Are we disinterested in those who suffer with mental health issues? Are we indifferent to those who struggle with addiction? Are we unmoved knowing our neighbor, our friend, our family member, or co-worker does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do our actions toward the vulnerable tell a tale of neglect? Regardless of our words, do our actions or inactions say that we don't care about the needs of others? Our heart can become so cold and so calloused and so hard that we, we hang a sign over it that reads, do not disturb. But this lack of concern threatens our intentionality as well as our fruitfulness. How then do we overcome indifference and apathy? What can we do to root it out of our lives? I would suggest to you this morning that the cure for indifference is compassion. If we don't care about others, we'll never involve ourselves in their lives as Christ descended to involve himself in ours. In his book, You Can Change, Tim Chester says, Jesus was God getting involved with us. God is not indifferent as, and as his image bearers, we should not be either. The term compassion has its linguistic roots in the Latin term calm, which means with, and pate, which means suffering. Practically speaking, we have compassion when we set aside our indifference and connect with those who are in pain and we suffer with them. And as a result, there's a strong personal element associated with compassion. To have compassion means more than just feeling sorry for somebody. It means to get down where they are in the midst of their need and to suffer with them in the midst of their pain. This is what Jesus himself did. Numerous times throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus was moved with compassion. For our Lord Jesus Christ, compassion was not simply a feeling. It was a commitment to get involved in the lives of hurting people. Because real compassion moves from feeling to action. James, a brother of Jesus, made this challenging and penetrating statement. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself 
unstained from the world. The religion God approves cares for those who cannot care for themselves. It includes the widows and the orphans, but it doesn't end there. It must include the unborn, the sick, the dying, the homeless, the disabled, the immigrants, the victims of sex trafficking, prisoners, refugees, and many others the world would rather overlook. It is to these vulnerable people that we cannot be indifferent or apathetic. Bob Rowland pictures a problem of indifference in his poem, Listen. He writes, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry. We can never substitute another church service or even more Bible reading for rolling up our sleeves and getting involved in the hurting world. True religion sees the distress of the world and then moves to meet that need with genuine compassion. You see, to remain indifferent is costly. It's costly to the vulnerable in the world who need our help. The sick, the persecuted, the slave, the orphan, they need Christ's church to show his compassion to erase their earthly suffering. When we reach out and help, we give to them a glimpse, a taste of what the kingdom of God is like. Our indifference is costly to our witness in the world. We are here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It ought to be our joy to proclaim the freedom our Savior has won for us. But we miss out on helping other captives flee the darkness if we are apathetic. God has entrusted us with a message of reconciliation. You see, we must show the world who our Father is and what concerns him. Psalm 146 verses 7 to 9 tells us that our Heavenly Father executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free and opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down and he loves the righteous. He watches over us who are only temporarily in this world. He upholds the widow fatherless, but the wicked he brings to ruin. Our heavenly father is characterized by his concern for us, by his compassion toward us. Shouldn't we also be known for our compassion? Are we not ambassadors for Christ representing him? And his purposes on earth. There is a hope in the gospel for the indifferent. Only Christ can redeem our stories of indifference and transform them into stories of radical, compassionate living. By God's grace, our eyes can be opened to see the plight of the vulnerable around us. God can bring, God can change our heart for our good and for his glory as we live compassionately by his grace for all the world to see. I mean, after all, we're created to live lives. So take an interest. Concern yourself. Unintentionally living, unintentional living leads to indifference. Therefore, live deliberately, not indifferently. As John Piper says, godliness is the aggressive pursuit of doing good things. And I want you to remember this as well. There are people in your life 
who need the help that only you can give. Some of them need a word of encouragement that only you can give. Some of them are staggering under a heavy load that only you are able to lift from their shoulders. Some of them are about to quit and you are the only one that can keep them in the race. Some of them have been hit by an incredible string of trials and you are the only one that can keep, help keep them going. Those people are all around us. But often our problems God would give to us missionary eyes the real needs of the people we meet. And I would have you pray that God would bring at least one person across your path this week that only you can help. And that you would act upon that. That's a prayer that God will answer. For as I said, there are folks all around who are just barely making We see them all to school with their children they're out there waiting for someone to give them help to extend compassionate love to them and God has helped us for that purpose that we might take what we have received and share it with those who desperately need it and so may God help us to be men and women of compassion to reach out and touch a hurting world in Jesus name may God help us to be a people who move from the sidelines into the game to a people who care less, to people who care more. To those who have missionary eyes, to those who see the real needs of people that they meet on a regular basis, I say, God bless you. God bless those who care for the widows. God bless those who minister to single mothers. God bless those who take in foster children. God bless those who adopt children. God bless those who care for the disabled. God bless those who give support to orphans. God bless those who speak up for the unborn. God bless those who support crisis pregnancy centers. God bless those who have rooted their lives in Jesus Christ, who have rooted from their lives the sin of indifference and apathy, and who have evidenced an aggressive pursuit of doing good things. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we realize that pride can so easily overtake our lives. And so often we turn our attention inward to ourselves, to our own needs, to our own preferences, to our own desires, to our own appetites. Father, when we do, it puts us at odds with one another. And it puts us at odds with you. And so I pray that you would root pride from our lives. And this morning, especially as we have talked about indifference, I pray that we would not be spectators on the sidelines of life. That we get into the game. That our hearts would be moved with compassion. That it would be broken as we see the needs around us. And that it would not only remain as a feeling, but it would be moved, we'd be moved to action to reach out in your name for your glory. And so, Father, may we be people who model our lives after the example of Jesus Christ himself, who give compassion to others. In his name I pray. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. 
If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 10.30. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Church or search on your favorite podcast app.